The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. All right, so Jason, here it is. It's you and me once again on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> and Jason, this time it's you that's remote and explain why exactly you are remote. Well, Hurricane Irma decided to uh, hit Florida. And so as a protective measure, uh, most of the staff and the students came out to Narconon, Louisiana, outside Baton Rouge, and uh, we wanted to keep everyone safe. And so as far as I know, we got hit with a Category 3. The center's okay. Um, the center's still doing fine. We just uh, have no power, <laughs> ah. which well, is just, just to clarify, it was actually only a Category 1 by the time oh, we hit Tampa Bay, yes. Oh. And um, I think most of Clearwater, um, well, they're probably getting the power back up, but I know we have no power at our house, so we haven't gone home yet. We did, uh-huh. um, one of our neighbor's trees uh, fell on our fence and broke our fence, and so hopefully oh. hopefully his homeowner, homeowner's insurance will cover that. Other than that, just a ton of debris. Um, I will tell you that last November I planted a plumeria bush or plumeria tree, which is a flower that I know and love from my growing up years in Hawaii. And when we planted it, it was two sticks, and then it had all these beautiful leaves and all these beautiful flowers, and it grew a third stick and had all these beautiful leaves, and now it's two sticks again. Aww. So there you go. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I know. But uh, it'll it'll start going again. I think it'll be fine. It's it's planted very well, so that's a good thing. And just so everyone out there who's listening to this knows, uh, we are still taking new admissions. Um, and uh, we're working it out so people will start their program here in Louisiana. And then once we're good to go in Clearwater, everyone will be brought back down to Florida. Okay, cool. So then if they go to, they can just go to narcononsuncoast.org and they can contact you through that number or our number, which is the 877-833. Okay, now I'm not going to remember the number that I don't have in front of me. <laughs> okay, wait until the outro and it'll give you the number. But you can also call the number on narcononsuncoast.org and... They'll they'll handle they'll fix you they'll handle you. There's not it's not like there's nobody here to service you. Um, they're definitely available to service you, just not physically here in Clearwater at the moment, right? That's true. Um, you know, I I was also thinking about something during this hurricane. Yes. And, and so basically, this is what I was thinking. So you and I have talked about you know suboxone and methadone and how you know it's a mainstream way of handling opiate addiction is that you go on you know the quote unquote government drugs to get you off the drugs that you're taking. But what do you think happens to all these people that have to go to a methadone clinic every day and then a natural disaster hits and then they can't? I I think, isn't that, isn't that the story you told me as to why the, um, the people who founded Narconon Suncoast and Narconon Louisiana, isn't that kind of what happened with Katrina? Yeah. You know, a lot of people during Katrina, it wasn't necessarily that they couldn't get their methadone, but they couldn't get any drugs. And so all these people, you know, were going through withdrawals and, you know, we had people out here assisting those people who are, you know, dope sick and, and not able to get their drugs and, the people that ended up founding Narconon Louisiana, you know, saw that there was this huge need for quality uh, substance abuse treatment. And so, yeah, that's how it started. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, there's probably all these people out in Florida 
that go to the methadone clinic every day and now they can't all of a sudden because abruptly there's a change in their plans because the natural disaster hit and they don't have medication at home to, to take because that's why you go to a clinic every day. Right. And so it's like, wow, is is that really a great solution for addiction that you know, it, you know, God forbid some natural disaster happens and you can't get your drugs and you're violently ill to the point where you might actually go back to your drug of choice. How good of how how good of a treatment method is that? Because technically you're still addicted. You're still on drugs and taking drugs. And if you can't get your your medication, you're just going to go right back to your drugs. And so right. I wouldn't consider that to be a really good, clean and sober lifestyle because technically it's not, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And so, and on the flip side of all that, um, I wanted to bring uh, one of our graduates onto the podcast today to talk about his success and to talk about his journey through addiction, his journey through the Narconon program and kind of where he's at today because, you know, we haven't done a success story in a while and I think our listeners, you know, would really enjoy to hear the gentleman's story. I think that's awesome. Now, so today we're going to talk to Cass, right? Cass, yes. Now, Cass, did you do the program in Louisiana or did you do it in Florida? No, I did the program in uh, Suncoast, Florida. Oh, okay. So you were one of the evacuees when when Irma made her presence known here in Florida. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Cool. Well, I'm glad you're safe, and I'm really glad that you've completed the program. Cass, tell me what, um, how did you get started on the road to addiction? How did you start with drugs? Um, Basically, I was heavy into alcohol. Around age 21, when I actually could legally drink, I began to utilize alcohol for several years to block out my my bad jobs or crappy days, I would always run home and begin to drink. And over several years, it slowly got worse and worse to where I was drinking in the mornings and uh, all day sometimes, for mostly towards the end. And uh, it just basically got so overwhelming that I was, instead of pursuing goals or doing my own decision-making, my only decision was to drink more alcohol, so it quickly got completely out of hand. Wow. And, but you were working at the time. Yes, I was uh, what they considered functioning. I would make sure I made it to work on time and uh, made it to lunch breaks, and I would drink usually during lunch breaks and so on. Uh, I went through a number of jobs towards the end uh where they asked me to step away and kind of sober up which wasn't really uh for an eye opener for me instead it was more of a oh i got more time to drink so i'd go and do that instead of cleaning up my whole act so i lost a lot of work out of that and a lot of friends due to my addiction Right. What kind of work were you doing, can you say? Yes, I was doing uh, lighting for television and film. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was living out in Hollywood, California. Wow. uh, Yeah, so basically my life was work and drink. Uh, I put in around 75-hour weeks, and uh, just whenever I had a free second, I would turn to the bottle, basically. 
Not because it just got to, if I wasn't working, I was drinking. So I wasn't choosing to live life in any way or enjoy any moments. I was just waiting to get a hold of some more alcohol to put in my body. I got it. Did you do drugs at all or was it just strictly alcohol? Um, it was pretty much strictly alcohol. Um, occasionally a drug or two would come into play, but it was never more than a specific time it was alcohol was always there as opposed to anything else i got it okay so when what was like rock bottom then for you um rock bottom was basically i had gotten to the point where if i hadn't if i did not have any alcohol in my possession or have not consumed any i'd become very ill So that would turn me into a craving point where I had to obtain some more alcohol in any any form or matter I could. So I would start ranging my whole day and schedule around either having alcohol, drinking alcohol, or getting more alcohol. Right. Um, I wouldn't sleep at night, and uh, I couldn't actually concentrate on anything due to my body would be shaking with tremors. Um, my attention span would be very short. My anxiety would be very high. And uh, I just basically couldn't function as a normal human unless I had alcohol in my system. That's what I felt put me back on the level playing field with normal people was just being inebriated at some point. I got it. Did you Were you married at the time or did you have a steady relationship? No, I... Uh, I haven't had uh, any kind of partner in quite some time, so okay, about five years. And okay, did the alcohol affect that at all? Um, it was definitely coming into play uh, towards the end of the relationship. We uh, parted ways because I think we weren't seeing eye to eye on a, a number of subjects. Alcohol was probably for sure one of them. I got it. And what about your family? Did you still were you still in touch with your family? Did they have any idea that there was a problem there? Um, about two years ago, I actually called up my family. For the most part, no, I was isolated myself pretty good to the point where anyone that was close to me or any family members that had spoken to me, they knew very little about what I was doing. I kept it very. Uh, to myself so I isolated myself from everyone outside of work I got it so your family doesn't live in LA no they live in North Carolina so. oh okay all right so that I'm guessing that probably made it somewhat easier to continue the addiction and hide it because they weren't there yes exactly I didn't I don't yeah, want to put words in your mouth, but there yeah, you go. No. Yeah. Basically, I only knew – the only people I knew in L.A. were people I worked with. So outside of work was just kind of free time for me to go abuse myself and basically abuse alcohol constantly. So I never had anyone to answer to as far as a girlfriend or uh, family members. So I just kept barreling down the alcohol trail basically I got it did any of your friends or anything try and 
get you to un- get you to realize that there was a situation there that you needed to handle? Um, early on, somewhat, but a lot of times it just kind of I separated from anyone that I felt would look down upon my addiction. Right. So I once again I isolated, quit communication with others, and uh, I didn't give them the chance to even speak out on it. I kind of just avoided contact with them, so I wouldn't hear the negative or actually positive <laughs> feedback. Right. Right. <laughs> Depending on your viewpoint at the time. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I got it. Did you have friend quote unquote? friends that you would drink with or did you pretty much do it alone i pretty much uh, drank alone um either in my apartment or i'd go to a local bar or something and i'd hang out with whoever was next to me or the bartender mostly who's my best friend at the time right you know so everyone would chit chat with me and then i'd go home and drink on my own but for the most part i never let anyone in or close enough to see how bad of a problem I had. I kept it under wraps pretty heavily. I got it. So at what point did you realize, hey, this is not how I want to live. I want to, I want to change this. At what point? Um, a couple, like probably three years ago, I uh, went to the hospital for the first time with pancreatitis. And, uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't the fact that I had to go to the hospital. It was the laying on the floor suffering thinking that I did that to myself waiting for someone I could get a hold of to come get me and take me to the hospital. Ah. And uh, I didn't have any friends at that time. And I had realized that I would isolated myself to the point where I could just possibly die right there on the floor and be done with it. Wow. Now, this brings something up that I didn't know, and Jason, you can chime in if you want to, but so is pancreatitis, is that something that is caused by alcoholism? Yes, it is. It's basically when your pancreas flares up and uh, from alcohol abuse, you can, the only other real way you can get pancreatitis is if you uh, eat a lot of fatty fast food, fried foods, I guess. Okay. That's the only real other determination of pancreatitis so basically it's just from alcohol okay so i'm confused like because alcohol has nothing to do with eating fatty foods is it just the idea that it's poison yeah i okay yeah it's also the sugar that's in it oh okay okay i get it i get it okay so you landed in the hospital with pancreatitis and there you go yeah i did a about three months stint of being sober and then I decided to go back at it again. And I was in and out of the hospital for about two years after that. Uh, with with to, what? One was fatty liver. Uh, one was uh, heart complications. Um, and then pancreatitis, uh, acute pancreatitis. Uh, okay. None of the hospital visits really kept me off of alcohol, though. Did you ever go to any kind of rehab? Yes, I've been to two. Well, I've been to one rehab twice, which is a 12-step program, and another rehab once. And uh, those I would usually 
probably make it about a month out of being out of there. But I was only stayed there for probably around 16 to 17 days. Okay. And how long typically are you supposed to stay in one of those? It's 20, it's 28 days, right? It's, it depends on your program, but 28, what's suggested basically they'll let you out earlier. A lot of that was heavy. I was under heavy medications too. I was there. Uh, And and the medications are to get you to not want alcohol? Yeah, they're like antidepressants and um, that sort of stuff. I can't remember exactly what all they had me on. Mostly it was to keep me from uh, getting riled up over my situation but not get depressed either. So it's like a two-in-one. And I was in there for anxiety on top of it, so. Wow. So you're in there for alcoholism, but you're getting treated with antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. You know, that sounds just about as logical to me as getting somebody off of heroin with methadone. I'm just going to say yeah, that. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> okay. So you did these, um, well, you said two of them were 12-step programs. What was the other one? I believe it was a 12-step program, but it seemed more like just a loony bin. It had a bunch of padded walls. It kind of looked like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And um, oh basically goodness. most of the other patients were just kind of milling about, wandering the halls and not not really communicating with anyone else or themselves. Well, maybe themselves some, but right. <laughs> I, right. uh, I stayed there for seven days and then I finally kind of mustered up the, I want to get out of here to the doctor. And he was like, he gave me a bunch of pills and sent me on my way. Okay. Well, that sounds like a really good solution. Just give you a bunch of pills and go on your yeah. way. Yeah, basically. Okay, so we st- I don't know if we've gotten yet to the point where you finally yeah. realized you had to do something. Yeah, so I did all that, and then uh, this past year, that uh, around New Year's is when I got out of another facility, a 12-step program. And uh, I try to get out and kind of start like a normal life. Mm-hmm. But I quickly kind of just started secluding myself, as in I quit talk communicating with my family again, and and it was kind of more uh, I was white knuckling the steering wheel of life and just trying to hold on to sobriety instead of just trying to function like a a normal person would. It was more like I was in my mind. It was just no alcohol, no alcohol, no alcohol, instead of, oh, I'm, I might enjoy this or, oh, I might enjoy that. Instead, I was more worried about not drinking than I was worried about going about everyday life and trying to find the things that make you happy and working without having chemicals in my body and being able to function without chemicals in my body. Wow. As you say it, it's a very good analogy, white-knuckling your way on the steering wheel of life. That's a really good analogy, and I think that it's it's definitely a good way to, describing, to describe when someone decides they're just going to do it themselves and, and work their way through it. 
Yeah, I didn't try any like AA meetings or anything because I was fed up with all those from the program I was sent to. Right. Went to, I should say. And then, uh, so I tried that for an about a month and a half and then finally I just started drinking again and then it got to where I was waking up early and sitting in front of a gas station waiting for them to sell beer or any kind of alcohol for me to drink in order to get through my day. Wow. And, uh, I think it was like a Sunday that I pulled in there and I realized that uh, North Carolina, This I was in North Carolina this time. I realized that they don't sell alcohol until 12 noon on Sunday, and I was there at 7 a.m. Oh, my God. And uh, kind of had a panic attack because I didn't have alcohol, and then I thought to myself, like, none of this is working anymore. Like, <laughs> I can't keep trying to hustle to have alcohol in my system. I need to wake up and find something else to do, not wake up and try to get to the store as soon as it opens for me to get more alcohol. Right. I think that's when I finally decided uh, I had a real problem, basically. And um, the night before, I had briefly talked to my mom about trying to find someplace other than a 12-step program. And uh, later on that Sunday, I got a call from uh, Brian, basically, from Narconon. Uh, oh. Suncoast and uh, Brian talked to me about all of the teachings and how they go about uh, getting people off of substances and alcohol. And how and, did Brian Brian found, find you? You mean your mom found Brian? My mom had found Narconon because I grew up in down in Florida, about an hour away from where Nar Clearwater. So, okay. uh. She was trying down there because that's where I grew up, basically, and she thought I kind of needed to restart my life back to my roots instead of, you know, trying to find something in L.A. or North Carolina. So she called Narconon and then told uh, them to give me a call around, uh, I believe it was 10 o'clock or so. And uh, when I got back to the house, I talked to my mom briefly after I found out the liquor store was closed or the gas station. And uh, she said that Narconon was going to be calling at 10, uh, you know, just make sure you answer your phone. And then uh, sure enough, right at 10 o'clock, Brian gives me a dinger. And, uh, basically we talked for about two hours. Wow. Uh, just about um, all the kind of troubles in and out of stuff, hospitals and programs and everything else. And, uh, he answered everything I asked in a way that I wanted to hear for sure. And uh, th I got the answers that I wanted. So uh, next thing I know, I was on a plane the next day down to Florida. And all that's pretty much the sum up of my getting to Narconon. <laughs> so tell us about Narconon, what you so, experienced there. Yeah, um Basically, I show up to Narconon uh, pretty intoxicated because I had free drinks on the flight down. Um, Joey picked me up, and uh, we chit-chat. He ended up being from my same hometown in, down in Florida, so we briefly talked about that. And then uh, I got dropped off at the withdrawal there at Narconon, 
Suncoast. And I didn't know anything about drug-free uh, withdrawal or anything like that, any kind of uh, drug-free anything. And that's because in the past when you would do when you would withdraw from alcohol they gave you medication, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. So, um I was quickly entering my withdrawal stages where I start getting shaky and I can't focus and stuff and I I was uh quickly going down the southwards patch where I just completely can't function and I'm sweating and shaking and everything else. And they tell me that, you know, they're just going to give me some vitamins and some water. And basically we went and did some locationals. And uh, I kind of slipped out of the whole withdrawal. All I was thinking about is trying to get alcohol. Instead, I started thinking about uh, these guys are probably pointing me in the right direction. I need to take this for a real hint of just do it <laughs> get it done and quit the false belief that i could do it myself and start trusting other people right and just for the listeners just so that they know um a locational i think we've talked about this before but a locational is basically a procedure that helps someone who's coming off of drugs or off of alcohol to get their focus off of the body because the body is very ill and instead get it on the environment so as to kind of help with the whole process of coming off the drugs or alcohol. So just so that people understand that. Okay, so you're experiencing something new with just water and vitamins and minerals and keep going. Yeah, basically um, I didn't eat for the first day or so and then they finally started giving me other you know whatever i could eat as far as some bread piece of bread here or something like that and uh and is that because you can't keep it down is that yeah basically okay. my stomach is it's barely tolerating water at that point um right. anything without alcohol in it if my mind between my mind and my stomach it just doesn't hold anything very long and uh, there's a lot of dry heaving involved and nasty stomach stuff. So, okay. Um, once I got past all that, uh, they started giving me CalMag, um, which is which is liquid calcium and magnesium in an acidic base, which basically helps the muscles to not tense up and spasm and yeah, yeah, all of that. Yep. It does a, yeah, it definitely relaxes the body and makes it to where the shakes aren't overbearing and uh, calms you down quite a bit. So, and you're and you're and you're you were able to tolerate the CalMag at that point, stomach-wise. Yeah, okay. um, it wasn't the most delightful tasting thing, but it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I figured I've been drinking alcohol for so long, I can handle a little bit of this. So, and uh, they. They told me that I would get used to it, and I did. And <laughs> I started started having a couple glasses of that a day at least, and uh, I pretty much breezed through the withdrawal. They held me a little longer because my enzymes of my liver were really high when I came. Okay. So I had to hang out a little longer than most people. I think I did uh, in the two weeks, I think, or 
something like that. I can't even remember now. It's been so long. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Well, Jason's told us several times that withdrawal really, it there's no set amount of time with withdrawal because really every drug or alcohol, it's different. Every addiction is different. And you may have done it two weeks. Someone else may do it in a shorter amount of time, but someone may be in withdrawal even longer depending on what they're on. I think Jason said that methadone is one of the longest ones to actually withdraw somebody from. So you weren't, I don't think you were at the high end. No, definitely not. Um, uh, and I see, I started functioning within like a couple days. So after that, it was just more or less waiting on times for me to get into the sauna. Okay. Then after withdrawal, I got into sauna, which, uh, a lot of heat, a lot of sweating, <laughs> a lot of heavy water and vitamins and more cow mag. Yep. But, uh, couple days deep into that I started just feeling completely different as in like I'm actually getting stuff out of my body right uh, as I progressed through sauna I started getting more uh, feeling physically better as in like I actually cared about how I felt like I wanted to eat more because I wanted to eat healthier because I like the feeling of being healthier so Towards the end of sauna, I started exercising more just because it felt good and I was eating right. So my whole attitude towards taking care of my body and had changed completely to where I'm more attentive towards that. That's awesome. Which takes me into objectives. Uh, when I first started objectives, I uh, had been running every day so that's kind of changed everything as far as my body and then I got into objectives and it's like I started working on my mind a lot more right. and I was focusing more on what was at hand instead of all the mess ups that I did before and you know all my miscellaneous fake plans that I have made up in my mind in the future uh, all that kind of just got honed into be me being me and figuring out my likes and dislikes why I do things and so on and so forth that definitely was like eye opening and I did a lot of realizing of myself and my life and the objectives definitely just pointed me in the direction of I can do all this without any kind of drugs and I can be a functioning human being again like I once was wow so it's not a disease you aren't a diseased person no far from that it's uh, definitely a lot of a mindset and uh, I don't just looking at things certain ways and using substances for you know blockers or takeaways to take you away to some other place instead of just confronting what's in front of you and you know taking care of it and you know you're gonna have ups and downs but so does everyone else everyone has that it's just part of life exactly and it's all the choices that you make in terms of dealing with it yeah definitely awesome so after objectives you did the 
life skills courses, right? Yeah, I moved into life skills and then uh, basically objectives made me aware of my, you know, goods and bads. And then I went into life skills and you start uh, looking at your overts, which are, you know, your mistakes. Transgressions. Or your yes, exactly. <laughs> Sins. <laughs> um, you start looking at yourself a lot and you kind of look at all the times that you messed up in the smallest manners, biggest manners, but you acknowledge the fact that you actually did that. I did all this messing up or bad things. I actually did it. I didn't just, you know, I didn't just make it up or I didn't, you know, I can't just dismiss it that I didn't do it. So you start kind of realizing, Oh, you know, I was pretty messed up individual a lot of the times. And, you know, either people were trying to say something to me or people were avoiding me because I was a messed up individual and not because I thought that they didn't like me or they had some problem, blah, blah, blah. But it uh, made you kind of just reevaluate everything that you've done, <laughs> goods and the bads, mostly right. get, get all the bads out so that way you're not focusing on those anymore. Right. Because when you do all that, don't you find that now you can actually get back to the good, which is where you started? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like you kind of clean the slate off or, you know, erased all the the damage to a point where it's not as noticeable. You, you're not completely forgetting it, but you're not still having it glimmer in your head coming out going you know i never really apologized for that or i never really considered that i really messed up pretty big there right so you kind of like clean up all that stuff that you never told anyone that was really messed up that you did or yep you know all that kind of good stuff and you know i think this is such an important part of the whole process that you go through at Norcanon because i think a lot of times and if anybody's listening i hope they really get this you know when you've gone through addiction and you've basically violated every single moral code that you ever had you may think that there's no way back from that but there actually is a way back from that you just have to go through the steps of really getting clean, doing the whole detox, and then you can get to the point where you can confront the pieces of your life that you're a bit ashamed of or you wish you hadn't done, but you can get rid of that. You can just, you can end it, you know, and end up right back where you were when you were a happy, bright, you know, kid again. Exactly. Get rid of all that, you know, negative and, you know, put you back in the positive Exactly. You know, because I think sometimes people think that there isn't a way to get rid of the negative, but there really is. And then you can get back to the positive. So what's in store for you now, Cass? Uh, I'm, I just graduated. So um, now I'm going to uh, move to North Carolina and be closer to family for a while. And I'm going to pick up uh, some schooling and uh, hopefully I'll probably work for a local news station or something, still kind of be in the TV production land, but I'm also going to uh, pursue another career also on top of it. Do you know what? Um, I'm actually looking in the culinary arts. Oh, 
you're going to be the next great TV chef. <laughs> I don't know about all that, but something, you know, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> well, I think I think that's absolutely exciting. I think, you know, you are well done you on, you know, getting through the program and doing what you have to do. I know it's not easy to go through you know, what you've been through and the fact that you've come out the other side and now you've got dreams and now you've got goals and you have the means to achieve them. I just think that that's awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. (laughs) I'm very excited. Well, very, very, very well done you. I hope that, um, well, I guess I may not get to meet you because you might not come back to Florida, but at some (laughs) point, maybe I'll get to see you face to face. Yes, indeed, indeed. (laughs) <laughs> and, and and maybe once you do your culinary arts, I don't know, Jason, we can have a follow-up with Cass. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Cass, I really appreciate you sharing your story. I, I, you know, we've never really talked a lot about alcoholism. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's a very, very relevant story. And I think that sometimes... With all of the brouhaha of heroin or methamphetamine or, you know, opioids, I think that sometimes we forget that, you know, alcohol can produce the same, the same thing. It can produce addiction and it can produce a lot of physical problems that go along with it. And I, I think, I think your story will resonate with a lot of people. I hope so. I, I think it's a, I think it's a really powerful story. I really appreciate you talking to us. Yes, thank you very much. I appreciate talking to you, too. Thanks for taking time out for me. <laughs> Absolutely. So that was a great interview, Johnny. I think that, uh, you know, Cass has a great story, um, you know, to share with people. And, you know, hopefully some people can find hope in this story. Now, there's something I wanted to t- touch on. Yep. And as I know, you know, Cass was talking about, doing the drug-free withdrawal and everything. And I wanted to make sure our listeners knew that, yes, Narcodon does do a drug-free withdrawal, meaning we don't put people on narcotics to get them off narcotics. However, our withdrawal is medically supervised by a physician and 24-hour round-the-clock registered nurses who are there making sure people are safe and are detoxing okay and they're not running into any major complications. Right, right. And that you know, everybody is cleared medically to do the drug-free withdrawal before they do it. And if necessary, people can go to a medical detox unit prior to coming and doing the drug-free withdrawal. Right. Because for anybody listening, there are some psychiatric medications that you can't just stop taking. Okay. Um, You have to, you have to actually step down off of those. And that's, that's kind of what we mean when we say a medical step down or withdraw, right? Yeah, medical detox. Medi- yeah. Medical detox. And, and that oftentimes has to be done first before you can actually do the Narconon program. But it is doable. You know, it can be done. Yeah, and we, and we work with a local medical unit uh, in, near Clearwater. And so if anyone out there does need a medical detox, we can always make sure that gets done. Right, right. Well, Jason, do you have any idea how long you're going to be in Louisiana? 
No clue. Um, we're waiting for power to be restored to the center before we can get on the road. Okay. Um, as soon as I know, you'll know. Okay, perfect. <laughs> and you know, Jason, one of the things that we might want to talk about one of these weeks, um, if we can both stomach it, is a lot of the adverse effects of some of the drugs and alcohol. Like I know, for example, right. that alcohol affects the liver. I also know that you can become extremely dehydrated with alcohol. And, you know, I think pretty much anybody who's ever seen a lot of movies knows that there's something called delirium tremens that can right. happen with alcohol withdrawal. But pancreatitis, no idea. And I'm sure that there are a lot of other you know, really super negative side effects with alcohol and with a lot of the drugs we talk about. And, you know, it's kind of a horror story, but it's true. So I think we could talk about that maybe next time. Yeah, we're absolutely. Together. absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, we're going to do this again next Monday, whether you're in Louisiana or not. And, um, uh, you know, uh, we'll do it. And uh, what's, let's see. Yeah, next Monday I'll be in town, but then I'll be in LA. So then I'll be remote and you'll be back in Florida. There you go. So thank you for having Cass on the show. I think it was a really, really good show and I'm huh? I'm excited to get it up there and it'll be it'll be live tonight. All right. Well thanks, Joni. Okay, you take care. You too. Okay, bye. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.